If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. And um, I have been gone for four Sundays. Thank you, church, for allowing me to be gone. And so I have a lot to make up for. So Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and the boat was Zebedee, his father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So Matthew is a Jew writing to his fellow Jews, instructing them that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. Matthew 1, verse 21, that I have brought up many times, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is a promise. She will bear a son. The son will come. The son will save his people from their sins. That Jesus the Messiah came to this earth to save sinners in obedience to God the Father. That Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah chapter 7, Micah chapter 5, Jeremiah 31, that John the Baptist prepared the way, Isaiah chapter 40, time and time and time again, what you have is Matthew pointing back to the Old Testament scriptures, showing his fellow Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. John recognized the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Son, that God, the Holy Spirit came and rested on Christ, the Son. That God the Father voiced His pleasure in His Son, declaring His perfection. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. That the large crowd witnessed all that took place, heard all that took place. That the long-awaited Messiah had come to John the Baptist to be baptized. He had made His public appearance at last. And in Genesis, we found that the Trinity made man. And in Matthew, we find the Trinity declaring, let us save man. After the words of God the Father spoken from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. The Lord does not tempt anyone to sin, but He is ruling over all that comes to pass for our good and His perfect sovereign purpose. The Messiah was tempted. Temptation of the flesh, temptation of the eyes, temptation of the possessions. Three ways in which you and I are constantly tempted. But Christ did not sin. Where Adam failed, God succeeded. As fully God and fully man, he lived on God's words. He did not put God to the test. And he worshiped and served the Lord only. Throughout his ministry, Jesus pointed back, not my will, but your will be done. 
The ministry of the Messiah has begun. He will save his people from their sins. And fasting forward today to 2023, we are gathered here today, and maybe not all of us, but we can celebrate the fact that the Lord has saved his people from their sins. The ministry of the Messiah has begun. Jesus shows up and he has begun preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, following in the footsteps of his cousin who prepared the way for him. In today's verses, we find the Messiah calling the first disciples. Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So point number one comes straight from the text. Jesus calls his disciples. Jesus calls his disciples. He had been preaching, calling for repentance, and while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he calls two sets of brothers, set one, Peter and Andrew, set two, James and John, to follow him. This marks the calling of the first disciples. When we look at the Gospel of John, we learn that this was not the first time that these brothers had seen Jesus Christ the Messiah, for they were already followers of Jesus, just not full-time. They were fishing, continuing their normal work. If you look at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, John explains this. In John 1, 35 through 42, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So John the Baptist is preparing the way. He, he points to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who walks by and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And disciples of John the Baptist leave John, and they follow Jesus. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew had followed John the Baptist until John pointed him to the Lamb of God. Andrew told his brother about Jesus, and it seems that the other disciple told his brother as well. Andrew, as we see in the Scriptures, he brought many people to Christ. We do not find that Andrew was quiet about the coming of the Messiah. He was excited and eager to tell others, an eagerness that hopefully is a part of your prayer that we would all have. These four men, they were fishermen. That is, they were from the poor and humble class, not the wealthy. That Christ came to save his people 
from their sins. And his people was not limited by earthly classifications of wealth. It's not limited by color. These full-time fishermen were now full-time disciples of Jesus Christ. And they were disciples because Jesus called them. When the gospel is preached, what you find is an outward or external call. But for the gospel to take root in the life of an individual, for ears to actually hear, for eyes to actually see, there must be an inward or effectual call. Matthew 22, verse 14, teaches us that a general call is rejected. It says, for many are called, but few are chosen. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The outward call is needed, absolutely, but the inward or effectual call is the call of God upon a life by God himself. The fact that God reaches down, God draws, God convicts, God justifies, God saves. He removes the heart of stone, He gives the heart of flesh. That God covers the sin of the individual. God gives faith to His children so that they will believe and they will repent. That this is the overwhelming grace of God that we sing about. This is amazing grace. As you already heard, John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. That the fact that if we are saved in this room, we are saved not because of anything that we have done. We are saved because of God's grace. John 6, verse 65, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. John chapter, or Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the Lord draws, the Lord grants salvation. Those who are predestined are called. Those called, they are justified. And those who are justified, they will be glorified. There is no break in this chain at all. Do you see the perseverance that God provides to his children? Do you see that justification, sanctification, and glorification is all of God? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Jesus calls his disciples. It is all Jesus. His grace. His gift. Salvation is not our own doing. Salvation is not our own work. Salvation is all of grace. So point number one, Jesus calls his disciples. Point number two, disciples of Jesus follow him. Disciples of Jesus follow him. Matthew 4, verse 19, and he said to them, follow me. These words are an imperative. These words are not an invitation. 
These words are a command. Literally, follow me and reads, come after me, come behind me. And what we find in the scriptures is when he was talking to the two sets of brothers, when he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, what we find is the word immediately. Follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. Immediately left their nets, immediately left their father, immediately they stopped what they were doing, immediately they followed Christ. There is much talk today about what a disciple is. But when Jesus called these men to follow him, he was calling them to die and serve as his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 is the first time that we find Matthew use the word disciple. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Disciple is a learner, a follower of a teacher. If you have been born again, if you're a child of God, this is also you. It should be. You should wake up every day and present yourself before the Lord. You should wake up and say, I am a learner of you. I'm going to follow your teaching. I am a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, meaning it's more than just knowing the Scriptures or knowing a teaching. Because Jesus rebukes a lot of people who know the Scriptures and know the teachings, but they don't follow him. To be a disciple, you must be born again. A disciple of Jesus has repented of their sins and put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. It is a past event, but it is also a present reality. Because you're still repenting and you're still trusting. A disciple of Jesus doesn't say, this is what I once did. No, no, this is what I'm still doing. Yes, I repented of my sins in the past. Yes, there was a time in history when the Lord saved me by his grace. But I still believe in Jesus Christ today. And I still confess my sins today. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So all those who live for the Lord, they are his children. Mark Dever said this, the Christian life is the disciple's life. To be a Christian means to be a disciple. There are no Christians who are not disciples, and to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow Jesus. So there are no disciples of Jesus who are not following Jesus. So to be a follower of Jesus is to be a continual learner sitting at his feet. And I call this the four L's, listening, learning, loving, and living for Jesus. You're listening to the Word of God, what Jesus has said. You are learning from the Word of God, what He has said. You are loving the Lord for who He is, for what He has done, for what He has said. And then you respond by living a faithful obedience to Him. A disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple in every area of life. And this is where you and I constantly struggle. We have certain areas in our life where we think, I am really following the Lord. But a disciple of Jesus is to follow the Lord in every single area of your life. 
our personal life, our home life, our work life, our church life, and among the nations for the glory of God. To die to self, to live for the Lord, is to be the continual walk of the Christian. It's not the fact that you and I are going to be sinless in how we live, but it's the fact that we're continuing to go to our Savior so that we will live for Him. In the words of J.C. Ryle, the glory of God is the first thing that God's children should desire. We find this when we are taught to pray. It's all about the glory of God. John 10, verse 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So followers of Jesus hear his voice. John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Followers of Jesus keep the commandments of God. Not in a legalistic way, but because they love the Lord. John 15, 12 and 14, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So followers of Jesus take his teaching and they live. They are occupied with God. They are concerned about their life and the life of others glorifying God. That's one step of maturity where you're concerned about your own life glorifying God. It's another step of maturity that God works in the individual in the sanctification process so that you become concerned about the sanctification and glorifying of God in the lives of others. That it's not just you, it's the body. It's more than just you. You're taking care of your own walk with God and you're concerned about the walk of God in the lives of others. To be occupied with God is not to be occupied with self, to not be occupied with sin, because you have submitted yourself to the Lord. We listen to the Word of God. We learn from the Lord, from His Word. We live for the Lord, and we love the Lord. Matthew 4, verse 19, He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Disciples are commanded to follow Jesus, and Jesus will make them fishers of men. Point one, Jesus calls his disciples. Point two, disciples of Jesus, they follow him. And point three, followers of Jesus fish for souls. Followers of Jesus fish for souls. Maybe you're thinking right now, I'm not gifted in that area. I didn't say certain followers of Jesus fish for souls. I said followers of Jesus fish for souls. Disciples are commanded to follow Jesus, and Jesus will make them fishers of men. The Lord's children care about the lost souls of this world. It's not that we care and we only pray. We care and we do something about it. You do not find in the Gospels or in the early church the Lord's children not concerned about the lost. You find them following in the footsteps of their Savior and teaching what Christ has said, calling others to repent as Jesus did. The history of the church, the cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, they shared the good news of Christ, believing in the sovereign and providential hand of God. 
Matthew 4, verse 20, it tells of Peter and Andrew. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Matthew 4, 22 tells of James and John. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus extended the call and there was no delay. Immediately, straight away, at once, they followed Jesus. All four of these men, without hesitation, they stopped what they were doing to follow Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Just like in our life, we must stop what we are doing and making sure that we are following Christ, which means we know the Word of God and we know that we are obeying the Word of God. They left everything and they followed Jesus because Christ was of first importance. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field that a, which a man found and covered up. Then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Salvation is so valuable, isn't it? But in us treasuring our salvation, are we treasuring Christ? That Christ is of the greatest of treasures. Like this is to be our thinking concerning salvation in our great Messiah, Jesus Christ. That Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they followed Jesus, and Jesus taught them to fish for souls. The words, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, these were true words. They happened. These four men became fishers of souls. Jesus makes fishing for souls true in His followers. How can what is so important in the life of God's children not be shared? How can we not talk about the greatest thing that has ever happened to us that a holy, righteous, good, just, wrathful, loving God would save a wretched sinner like me? As a disciple of Jesus... He is our authority. He is our master. We are His slaves. God calls His children. His children follow Him. And His children go and extend the external call to others. Now this doesn't mean that all are preachers. This doesn't mean that all serve as full-time missionaries in a foreign country but all are to be sharing of the marvelous work of Christ. If you're a husband, begin doing that with your wife. If you're a father, a mother, do that with your children. All the church is to be fishing for souls where they are. God called these four fishermen, they followed Him, and He made them fishers of soul. They were fishermen, and now they were fishing for souls. I love the words of theologian Susanna D. Dietrich. It's no longer a question of taking fish from the lake, but of drawing men up out of the abyss of sin and death, catching them in the great net of God. And no matter our past, what we have done, no matter your age, where you are, if God has called you, you follow Him, you treasure Him, and He will make you fishers of soul. There should be no human being that has to twist your arm to do evangelism. You may have fears, but the Lord is the one who makes you fish. Those who have been saved by God's amazing grace, they go and tell of what He has done. And they tell that in their home, and one-on-one, at work, with their neighbors and family. 
Many people are not good with large crowds, but they're great when it's one-on-one. Many are great in large crowds, and they don't know how to carry on a conversation in one-on-one. Jesus calls disciples follow and followers fish. I want to look at seven great truths from the lives of those who fish from souls, truths we find in the life of Christ. Number one, fishers of souls feast with God. Fishers of souls feast with God. I have never met a genuinely saved person who was concerned about the salvation of others who was not walking with God. And I can say that true about my own life. That when I'm not focused about knowing who the Lord is, I'm not going to be talking to other people about Jesus. Fishers of souls, they feast with God. We feast with God and he causes us to fish. Number two, fishers of souls are available and intentional. They are available and intentional. Fishing is something that you're ready for, and fishing is something that you plan for. Just like we heard in Sunday school today, we're going out at Saturday at 7 p.m. at Car Lake to fish for souls. We're ready to go fish, and we're planning to go fish. Fishers of souls are available and intentional. You intentionally insert into a conversation or you become ready to talk about Jesus Christ with others. Your life is not consumed with worldliness that you don't have, that you don't have time for the spiritual. The followers of Christ are available and they are intentional. Number three, fishers of souls are patient. Fishers of souls are patient. Fishing for souls is not just a one-and-done evangelism encounter. It may be this, because you may never see them again, but it is also ongoing, patient discipleship with souls that we love. I remember speaking this past weekend that I have neighbors on our street. Some of those have been a long, drawn-out process, or people in my friend's they're in my lives. It's been eight years, nine years, 10 years, 12 years of speaking about certain things over and over and over again and watching what the Lord is doing. Fishers of souls, they are available and intentional. Followers of Christ are available and intentional. It's not that you just wake up in the morning and you said, you know, I hope this happens today. You wake up in the morning and you discipline yourself to spend time with the Lord. Fishers of souls are available and intentional. Fishers of souls are patient. Patient with family members. Patient with our neighbors. Patient with co-workers. You have to be patient. Number four, fishers of souls recognize the tug on the line. In real fishing, you must pay close attention to your line. That's why I'm not very good at it. So many times that I've gone fishing, I've actually, I am fishing, but I'm also talking to people next to me and sometimes fishing for men while I'm fishing. It doesn't work out very well. But we must do the same as we fish for souls. You listen to the other person with great compassion. 
You recognize the tug on the line. You listen to their words. You watch their expressions. You hear with your ears what they believe to be true. And you respond by speaking the truth in love. There is no fishing if you don't speak truth. Fishers of souls recognize the tug on the line. Number five, fishers of souls leave the results to God. It is not our responsibility for someone to come to Christ, nor is it our failure if someone doesn't repent and believe. And as a parent, you need to hear this as well. It is not your responsibility if your children believe in Christ for salvation. It is your responsibility to point them to Christ and to teach them what God has said. Fishers of souls, they recognize the tug of the line, but they also leave the results to God. We cannot save anyone spiritually at any time. We are to extend the outward call as God's children, and he does the saving when and if it is his will. Sometimes what God is doing when we are proclaiming the gospel is he is damning them. Fishers of souls, they leave the results to God, whatever that is. Number six, fishers of souls pray. They pray before they share. They pray as they are sharing. They pray after they share. They pray for opportunities to share. They pray throughout the entire process. They pray for obedience. They also pray for more workers of the harvest. Fishers of souls Pray because they realize it does not matter if I go out and I talk about Christ for four hours with individuals at Car Park. What matters is as I am being faithful, I am praying, asking the Lord to convict of sin while I'm talking about Jesus at Car Park. Fishers of souls pray. Fishers of souls fish only for the glory of God. That's number seven. Fishers of souls fish for the glory of God. We go and we proclaim the good news of Christ that saves sinners for the glory of God. We don't do it for self. We do not do it for the praise of others. We don't do it for numbers. We don't do it for a temporary fame that will fade. We share the gospel. We fish for the glory of God. And we do it for the praise and worship of God, obeying his word. John Piper said missions exist because worship doesn't. Therefore, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. So Jesus calls, disciples follow, and followers, they fish. These simple words that we have looked at today, where we have seen Jesus, he has begun his ministry. We have heard, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We have have seen Jesus say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're seeing the calling of the disciples. We must stop and look at our own life and say, am I following Jesus? In fact, we even need to ask the question, am I confident and sure of my salvation? We have already sung this morning, my only hope in life and in death is I am not my own, but I belong to Christ. Are you confident that you yourself are saved? 
Have you turned from your sin and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? It's not did you believe, it's are you still believing? Are you still confessing of your sins? Are you following Jesus? Which means you're not following something that someone else has taught. You are following the Word of God. You are following His commands. Do you find submission in your life to God and His commands? Do you find obedience in your life to what God has said? Because God's kingdom, this church, your home, they need devoted followers of Christ. We need to ask ourselves if we are to occupy our life with the glory of God. That's to be our first and greatest treasure and first fruit that we are consumed with the glory of God. What are we currently occupied with? I mean, we fish for lots of things in this life. Are we fishing to be faithful to the Lord? We are to set aside sin and we are to look to Christ. We are to remain faithful in following Him. Followers of Jesus are intentional in passing on truth from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Are you involved in passing on truth? If you're not, I don't care what you're doing. You're not being faithful to the Lord. We are to pass on truth. There is a great cost of not discipling. There is a major cost in not teaching your children the Word of God. There is a major cost in individuals in the church not passing on truth from one person to the next person. There is a great cost in failing to disciple. It's not just the pastor's responsibility to preach the Word. It's the congregation's responsibility to teach the Word. We are to pass it on. We are to pray for and fish. Are we praying for lost souls even? That's something we must think about. Am I praying for the lost? Who am I praying for? Who are my top five? Who are my top ten? Who are my family? Am I praying for their salvation? Am I praying for lost souls to come to faith in Christ? And am I intentional in talking about Christ when I'm around them? We've been commanded to follow the Lord. This is not an invitation. This is a command. It's an imperative. He said, drop what you're doing and follow me. We are to drop what we are doing and we are to follow the Lord. And if you're asking yourself this question, the answer is yes, Christ is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy of all of your worship all of the time. We are to go to Him. We are to learn from Him. And we are to worship Him. Heavenly Father, help us to examine our life. My prayer is that we would leave here and we're not the same. But that only happens by Your grace and Your power. My prayer is that Your simple words of looking at what it is to be a follower of Jesus, of listening to your voice and obeying your voice would take root in our life this week and that we would be your faithful children. That the sinful things that occupy our minds, our souls, our thoughts, our words, Lord, they would decrease. We would stop being consumed with our preferences and our desires, but we would be consumed with the people that want to do right 
based upon your eyes. Lord, for those who are lost, draw them to yourself. Lord, give us a greater zeal for you this week, for your name, and all for your glory. It's in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.